Welcome to Mindset Growth Podcast. I'm Gary, your host, and I have Heather, my co-host, with me. And today we're going to do a special episode, and we're going to respond to a lot of the questions we get asked when we're coaching clients or just randomly people ask us when they're maybe trying to find a, a path forward in what they should do next in their business or work with us. So with that, we'll jump right into it and have some dialogue. It's going to be a bit of an open forum here. And the first one is currently I'm a one-person show and have no employees and I'm extremely nervous. What advice would you give to expand and bring employees into the business? So Heather, I'm going to let you respond to that one. Sure. So hiring your first employee can be a big hurdle to mentally get over. But what I would suggest is ask yourself, you know, what are you spending time on in your business that you hate doing? Maybe you are, um, let's say, a mechanic and you started this business as a side gig. You're working on a few vehicles here and there. And now you're finding yourself answering the phone all the time, um, doing invoices. Maybe invoices aren't getting sent out because you hate spending the time to do it. You would rather be working on that engine or, or working under that vehicle, getting it taken care of. So ask yourself, how many hours a day are you spending doing the things that A, you don't love and B, you're not great at because there is someone out there that does love doing those things and they are going to alleviate those headaches for you. So you can make the money taking care of that vehicle or you know, being on that roof, whatever it may be. But it's just the mental hurdle of letting go of, of those items of your business that someone else is much better suited to take care of. The other thing that happens a lot that we see is people will go into a business because they enjoy doing a certain type of work. And then when they get into it, they discover that what they're actually doing is not what, I mean, they're not doing what they love doing anymore. Right. And so I think one of the other things to do is really start to maybe journal a little bit and just jot down uh, where you can break these tasks up. Because a lot of times, if you're in Heather's example, if you're a mechanic and you're spending all this time in the office and running after parts, you're not making money. So what's, if you worry about affording an employee, most times they will earn their, their, uh, their, their wage just in the time that they save or the time that they free up for you to go out and uh, expand that business. So I understand the nervousness. I've been there more than once, but I've also seen the reward and seen how it can affect and just boost just morale, save, save a person from burnout, uh, stress, and also maybe boost the service and help bring the service level up to uh, to that you were wanting to deliver to the clients because you're so busy yourself that it's hard to uh, provide that service that you once set out to provide. Exactly. It's just really checking in with yourself and having a very real conversation with yourself. What are what are your strengths? What's holding you back? And getting over that hurdle of just taking the plunge, having someone help you out. 
What's interesting, you even use that example because I'm in the middle of helping a client right now in that industry do that very thing. And really just, you know, I guess I recommend a coach even in this case because as we started to break things down for him, it just, uh, he realized how much he was leaving on the table. Right. And so how much more he could accomplish and how many more people he could serve. So part of it is, depends on what, what your mission and end goal is and what you want to accomplish. So there's always steps that need to be taken to reach those. So hopefully that answers that question. Uh, if you have some more on that, uh, please send us an email and we'll follow up with it. Okay, so the second question is, it's a great question right now, especially after um, 2020 when so many people kind of were forced into doing this. But I'm in the process of turning a side hustle into a full-time job. What are some of the infrastructure things I should things I should have in place before doing so? That is a great question. And I think so often we charge into business thinking we need maybe tools to do, you know, if we're in trades and things like that. But there's a lot of side hustles that uh, people do really well with. And then when they turn it into a full-time position, we see them struggle to the point of failure with it. And so a couple of key things have to, ha have to be addressed and really looked at before you really start. Because at a side hustle, many times people, what I see is they maybe don't have the insurances that they need to have, so that cost isn't there. They likely uh, do not have really a full accounting system in place, so that cost is not there. Uh, they may not really have an office space because they're working from home and working out of a home office possibly, and if they develop it into a full-time business, now they're gonna need an office space. Uh, they probably don't have an attorney that they work with, and yet if they're gonna do this full-time, they need to start to look at, have somebody there that can look at contracts and make sure the proper agreements are all in place because those can turn into very expensive mistakes we've yes, seen. Can. So I guess there's a couple of things when you think about that. The very first one I usually recommend people start to look at is their budget. And figure out what your budget is. Because if you're going to leave a full-time gig going into a side hustle, there's benefits that are no longer going to be provided to you. You know, Do you have a retirement plan? Do you have uh, uh, paid vacations? Health insurance is huge anymore. Uh, where's, where's that going to be picked up? And really start to list out all of your expenses. And then at the same time, you can take that and start to lay out a budget for yourself. Some of those things sound expensive, but having conversations and at least aligning yourself with people that you know you can go back and rely on, uh, it's going to be very helpful and help them mitigate some of the major catastrophes that we see. And it really isn't that expensive sometimes to just get the right people in place and kind of make sure you have that structure behind you. Um, you know, there's then there's the whole thing of, uh, you know, mission statements. Understand what you really want to accomplish. Uh, side hustle can be fun when it's when it's a hobby, but a job and a hobby are two different things. And so just mentally be prepared for that. Uh, I know I experienced that early in my life when I started a business that was a lot of fun and became where it was no fun at all. So uh, 
I just just think as you look at that, the base the basis of all of it though has to come back to a budget and is it sustainable and and then get the right team around you. The budget is is absolutely necessary, but I think one thing that you mentioned in there that I would like to underline circle exclamation point because we've seen it through insurance, we've seen it through our clients now so many times is um those contracts that either aren't in place and need to be, or we're signing something that we should not have. So have an attorney look that over. I, I can't stress the importance of that. Or even an insurance agent. Yes. <laughs> because insurance, uh, and coming from my one background, really everything in insurance is contracts. Mm -hmm. And that's really all I did was read contracts. And I don't care if you're in construction, you're leasing an office space. Uh, remember, attorneys write those to protect their client. And many times there are things in there, if you do not understand it, you will be responsible for things that you cannot even possibly meet, the requirements. And when that happens, you now you're breaching a contract and you're going to end up in a lawsuit. And it's going to cost you, you know, tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars and probably put you out of business. Uh, we, we see that happen over and over again. So contracts are huge. They protect you. They're there to protect you, but they're also there to protect the other party. So, Absolutely. Okay. I own a business in a small town, and it's extremely difficult to not compare to bigger companies in the same industry. What advice do you have for me? Well, first, I love that question because I can relate to that. And that was actually probably where I found myself uh, thriving the most was when I was the small competitor because there's some advantages you have with that. And that is just, you can provide some very personal and quality service that larger uh, competitors often can't because they're systemizing and they're just a larger organization. And unless they're very well run and trained, they're gonna give up a lot of service or the quality of their services and uh, personal touch on the goal, on, on the delivering of the, you know, their products. So, First off, don't compare yourself to them. Focus on yourself and set out what, and just really outline what your mission and your goal is and start to set goals. And you're going to hear me talk about this over and over, but set goals on what you want to achieve. For an example, if there's a big competitor, then there's clearly going to be probably multiples of big competitors, medium and small size. And so there's a market share that you want to go after. And in every industry, there's still our niche markets within those markets and zone in on those. And if you can build and establish relationships, focus on that. You know, I don't think there's any company out there that can handle 100% of everything. And if they do, it's called a monopoly. And typically somebody steps up and starts to control that for you, uh, whether it be a government of some type because they're not going to let monopolies happen. So competition is good. It's going to make you better. And if you can find niche markets that you can improve and provide a better service and product over your competitor, focus on that. 
One other thing I like to challenge people to do is if you can, if there's a way to get analytics that you can see what the volume is in that industry for you within maybe the radius or the area you want to work in, break that down and figure out maybe how to get 5, 10, 20, 30% of that and how many years it's going to take for you to get that market share. All the while knowing that as you gain that market share, you're going to become one of the bigger companies and you're going to have to focus on what it is that you started out with so that you don't give up the service like maybe your competitors that you're competing against. So it's very important that you start with your beginning mission statement and that as you build out, you can stay true to that because that's how the longevity and the clients will stay with you if you can continue to provide that service. But I really challenge folks to just challenge on the percentage of the market maybe and how they can find niche ways to serve those people. It's great advice. All right, another one, I think this one is, is being asked a lot more often lately. In addition to salary, what are some ways that I can make employees feel more engaged in their work? That is an awesome question. And we get that question a lot. And probably more now than ever when there's such a labor shortage and everybody can pretty much find a job anywhere and probably find higher pay. Um, working through some of those cases in the last six months with folks, I always would ask, though, what are some of the things and I'm just even working with maybe people that are looking at moving into a different job. So I want to share this so you as an employer can think about this and take some ideas. I would ask them, what are some of the things that are most important to you that you receive from your employer? And a lot of times money is not the top. In fact, when we do an interview of 20 to 25 questions with people, I don't know that we've ever had money come in in the top five, have we, Heather? No, I don't think I so. I mean, it's, it's, it's always, it's, it's down the list as long as it's fair. I mean, that's, and that's assuming they're getting a fair wage. But the benefits are a big one. Uh, that's a huge one. Uh, another one is the culture. Everybody is about culture. And is it a fun place to go to work or is it demanding and you cannot please the boss? They're just you know, all focused on, you know, creating uh, higher production with less help and building a bottom line, or are they actually building a culture and an environment where people can learn new things, grow and succeed, and there's a place to advance in that, in that industry or at that company? And that's usually where I see people make decisions, and this is coming from an employee view, they make decisions to either stay or go more than not based on culture and the opportunity they see for advancement and to learn new things. So if you're going to uh, want to hold your employees and not lose them, there's a couple of things you can do. I mean, we see a lot of people put KPIs together, incentivize through finances, uh, where there's bonus systems and structures like that. And really out of those, though, more than anything, it builds a team atmosphere mm -hmm. because the money, again, is not the top reward for most people. And it's the environment they're in. So if you can create 
systems and strategies where there's probably a team atmosphere, a positive atmosphere, and growth opportunities, I think you're going to build a lot more retention. Because whenever it's hard and there's a labor shortage, it's because the economy's strong. Every time the economy's strong, there's always a down cycle after it, given however many years it happens in history every time. And when that happens, you know, employees also need to look at, do I have job security? And that's another big one that they, they look at. Are you a stable company? Are you growing? Or are you going to be put, putting them in a situation of being laid off? So I think the biggest thing that you can do is just really uh, work on your culture, help them understand their mission, and create an environment that's growth-oriented and goal-oriented and have a healthy business that's also growing and has a reputation that they are proud to be a part of. I would love to add to that. Do it. <laughs> uh, I would also like to mention that it really depends on the generation. I The workforce is so generationally motivated right now. I know, and I'm not here to pick on millennials, but that is where we've seen a really big shift in what culture means to them as as an employee. And we were getting so many um, applications in. Do you remember? Yes. We would look through it and it was, um, they would be at a job for six months, two months, you know, maybe a year tops. And we're like, what what is going on here? And the insurance industry, it takes a solid year to get someone properly trained. So that wasn't going to work out for us. But what we were finding is the the younger employee was looking for that team atmosphere. They wanted to be recognized. They wanted to have, um, you know, employee days. They wanted to maybe go as a company and um, have a day where you work with your favorite charity, work with Habitat for Humanity. They wanted to be a little more hands-on. And that gave them all something to look forward to. Um, so, yeah, it's not always about salary. Sometimes it's it's about what you can offer to your community as well. So it, it really does depend on the generation that you're looking at, too. It does. So. I'm just going to add that a little bit. Uh, I grew up maybe a little bit of an old soul in, in you know, my grandmother lived with me uh, or lived with our family. And so I kind of, you know, she went through the depression. Mm -hmm. My parents were on the backside of the depression. And I remember my first job, I had worked there, I believe, three years. And I told my mother I wanted to move to another place. And she said, oh, don't, don't do that because you'll be noted as a job hopper and then nobody will hire you. Mm -hmm. I already had three years in. And that was considered short term mm -hmm. because they came from an era that if you even found a job, then that was something great. You just stayed there and worked hard. And, you know, I'll, I'll throw this out there, too, because I think millennials got a bad rap. I, and I, is it Gen Z's now after, uh, I believe, after the uh, millennial generation? I will just say this. My generation was supposed to uh, be the end of great civilization as well. But I know one thing for a fact, each generation brings their own set of maybe problems, but they also absolutely bring their strengths 
And it absolutely is a joy and a thrill for me to work with the millennial generation and the Gen Zs. They have grown up with technology, and it's so different than how I grew up. And I see how quickly and efficiently they like to work. And they're not so into maybe material things. Uh, it's more about people and the human connection. So that's a, uh, that's a big thing to those, to those folks, too. And it is the future of our workforce, so it's necessary mm -hmm. that we, we address that and, uh, adapt. And, and adapt to that mm -hmm. because it's, uh, I'm telling you, there's a lot of, of the younger generation that have some talents that I'll never possess. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I enjoy them. Okay. All right. I'm so busy running my business that I struggle with things like mission statements, long-term plans, and setting goals. What are some ways to get out of this routine? That is a very interesting question, and I have experienced that firsthand. And that's exactly where I went when I started thinking about that, because I would sit down and think that, uh, and, and again, just off of the last question, talking about generations, I was taught you just do everything yourself. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't hire anyone to do anything. So growing up as I did, you know, if we needed to do some construction, we did. If we needed to do some repair work, you name it, it we just did it all. So that was my mindset. And it was really tough uh, for me to shift out of that. So I would sit down and try to write my goals. And then occasionally in passing, I'd maybe speak it a little bit. But I never had a company meeting outside of maybe a Christmas party every year and uh, or a breakfast here and there. But it was never really organized outside of probably once a year. And I would sit down and try to write some goals, but I didn't even know what to do with it when I had them. And what changed all that for me was when I hired a coach and we figured out a clear plan and started to systemize how we're going to get there. And if those things are really a struggle for you, coming from the generation I did of accomplishing everything yourself and not asking for help because asking for help was a sign of weakness. And it was uh, maybe, well, I was going to say unspoken, but no, I think it was spoken too. I mean, you just were supposed to be a very self-sufficient, strong person. A coach changed my life. And yes, I am one now as a result of my coach who still I still work with and respect and admire greatly. But at that point, they helped organize and structure things where we could start to put processes and steps in place. And I can, I can absolutely say with all certainty, it has definitely brought the productive level of production up. It brought, uh, it brought up the uh, team building. Uh, it changed our culture completely. All of a sudden, employees are interacting. Employees that didn't like each other learn to like each other and respect each other's uh, abilities. They learn within the organization. Employees will learn that certain employees have strengths, others don't. Mm -hmm. And they start to respect that. And what happens with that, too, a lot of times then is that the employees are now growing personally. And they're on a, more of a motivational growth. And there's a lot of things that it just starts to raise the other level. And it goes back to, again, how do you keep an employee? Well, it's, this is one of the things you need to do. Employees, if they don't understand the mission statement, 
and they don't understand what the goals are, and there's no way to measure those things that they can physically see, and they don't have access to any reports and updates, they're not going to probably stick around long term. Every now and then you'll find somebody who really connects on a relationally or, you know, just a friend basis. But um, if you want to create a longevity within your organization, there has to be ways to have measurements to show people. And you cannot improve what you don't measure. So think about that when you're looking at all of these things. A mission statement, long-term plan, setting goals. You need to measure those, though because there's no way to improve it if you don't measure it. So we found that with a lot of the companies we work with in our own organization uh, and our companies to make a big difference on just really productivity and longevity with employees. It helps with the vision. Yes. Um, it's kind of amazing to me how many more employees are asking of the, for these recently. Too, but you know, I think they want that vision. They do, and I'm glad you brought that up. One other thing I would go back to even on the other statement is include employees on this process. Mm-hmm. I think the fear is if I do that, then what if I hurt their feelings because we don't go with their idea? But if you really organize and structure a meeting and try to get something out of everybody, not everybody's going to get their idea on every level, but there's really uh, – uh, there's really a lot of input you can get. And what it does is it creates an environment where they feel like they are a part of it. Mm-hmm. And this is something bigger than them. And especially for the younger generation, um, Gen Z's, millennials, it, it really helps engage them. And it fits into what they like to see culturally as well, that they are a part of something bigger than them. And we all like to feel like we're contributing, not just maybe delivering a paycheck back to the boss. So Right, exactly. Today's episode is brought to you by Century Insurance, located in Kelowna, Sigourney, and Fairfield, Iowa. We are excited to partner with them. One thing you may not know about them is they serve a lot of construction companies and small businesses. They operate in 16 states and continue to add them as needs arise. Reach out to them for free reviews and making sure that you have the coverages that you need. With all the hype and the buzz of buying things online, the thing they say they see most often is, is incorrectly insured products. Though you may be a contractor, if you have a specialty, there may be certain coverages you need so that you have the coverage when there's there's a claim that will cover you and not leave you and the customer stranded. Reach out to them at www.century-ins.com and look at what they have to offer and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. This next question, kind of wish we had Jen on here for this, but um, this is something that every company has to find a way to deal with because in a society where we can hide behind a keyboard and, you know, really go after people without consequence, this, this happens more often than we would like. But I own a roofing company and have recently received a bad review online. I understand where we went wrong, but I'm wondering how you would go about handling negative online feedback. Well, 
we've had experience working with this in in different situations. And so uh, a couple of things, some of the negative feedback that's out there, once it's posted, depending on the platform, as I understand it, cannot be changed. Right. So as far as you're stuck with it. However, I will go back to your mission statement and core values and what it is that you're doing to serve the client. And I think one of the biggest things and breakdowns that I see, and I will go back, this is something my father taught me years ago. If you don't communicate, you know, that's when relationships start to break down and fall apart. So if you've got a mission statement and core values in place and your employees and everybody understands that and that bad review comes in, uh, I would ask a couple of questions first right away when this happens. The first one is, have you even reached out to this client and were you aware of this problem? Actually, probably were you aware of this problem and have you reached out to this client? The reason is, Sometimes people are frustrated and they have a bad day and you just popped up in front of them at that moment and they decided to go ahead and post it. But more likely than not, what we see happen is something did not go the way the client understood it. Mm -hmm. And we see a lot of times there's not a good contract or was not a good explanation of the scope of work that was going to be performed. That is usually where the breakdown is. And so then you have a very generic, very basic contract, if there's one at all. And the client is in their mind has a picture. And so folks doing sales and you're selling a product, which anybody doing any service work, it may be even your employee, you've got to understand the client has a picture that they see in their mind how this is going to be accomplished. And you folks on your side have this have another one of how you see it being accomplished and that's where contracts come into place to start with is to make sure there's a clear understanding and that you went through and gave a good explanation of what's going to happen because you need to build that trust so often there's just a breakdown so reach out the first thing is to see if you can do that if you can mitigate that problem which i would hope you have the ethics and the high high moral standard that you've tried everything within your power to do. And sometimes the mess up is bad enough that financially you maybe can hardly afford to do it. But I challenge you to find a way to, to have the integrity to make sure that, that that system, some way there's a remedy or a solution to that problem. Because if you feel like you're in a position, and I can talk about this from experience that we've worked with others and even myself probably, if we don't try to find a remedy or a solution and get creative with this, they're going to escalate and it'll only get more expensive. It doesn't get less expensive or go away most times. So deal with it. And then go back. If they can't change their review, ask them to post another one and say that, you know, in your negotiation, if you can come to an agreement, if they would go out and post another review saying that, you reached back out and you guys were able to work it out and you really re appreciate and respect that. I've seen those reviews out on a company and as quick as I can see that second review come through, I realize that this company has integrity and they're probably somebody I want to do business with because if there is a problem, more than likely, they're going to come back and take care of it clearly because now somebody's gone, taking the energy to go back and post 
what happened and how they corrected that problem. That's one of them. Another one is if it goes to where it's a, at an impasse, you should create a scenario where you're continually asking for reviews and you're just going to mm -hmm. have to bury it. If you've been in business for any length of time and have 100% yeah. perfect reviews, I'm very happy for you. It's not really sustainable long-term that 100% of those people will always be happy. However, that's what we strive for, but sometimes you just need to get them buried down deep and mm -hmm. keep building yep. and learn from it so you can avoid, uh, avoid that in the future. And that's a really good point. Ask for those reviews. Yes. It's marketing. Ask, ask, ask. Jen will tell you, ask, ask for that review. <laughs> um, there are those online companies. I'm not going to throw any websites out there, but that you can go online and, and get your hotel through. Um, I've seen so many reviews on, on certain hotels, like this was terrible. This is what happened here. And they have instant responses to those two. I am, I'm terribly sorry that this was your situation. I am reaching out to management now and we would love to have your business back. I would love to be in contact with you. So the reviewer also sees that. Right, yeah. right, right. And a quick response is good. And the interesting mm -hmm. part with the scenario you, you just brought up, probably the breakdown, what I see sometimes in those two is that the third party company is probably the one who causes the pro the problem more than maybe yeah, the hotel. Those, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's your employees are really a extension of you, so it's almost like a third party in that scenario. Are you training well? Are you teaching them how to respond? Yeah. All things you have to think about. Yep. Okay, good stuff. Next question. My company is starting to scale and I'm looking for advice on maintaining a healthy company culture. That's another fun uh, question, and it's one that kind of probably uh, impacted me at a very early age because I think, well, I don't know if I was 20 yet when I really started doing some of my own uh, first businesses. Uh, but, you know, years ago, I had, met, had the privilege of meeting John Maxwell and going to a conference of his, and I walk away from that whole conference, and I've carried this with me throughout the rest of my life, and I've now found it in some of his material. But he always talked about you cannot grow an organization beyond your own ability. And so if you're looking at scaling a company, number one, you're never going to scale a company sustainably past your ability. I can liken it. I've seen churches that have grown and then – all of a sudden, in two, three years, it, it drops back and they start to lose membership and it kind of levels out at a certain point. I've seen, and I'm using just churches because I'm relating this from things I've seen with Maxwell or that I learned from him, I should say. And then I've seen it to where they've maybe had a pastoral change and I've seen it go where they've had just tremendous growth with that pastoral change. And they've also had a tremendous recession of members in that pastoral change. Uh, we see this even in business. I've seen it where a generation changed in a family business and all of a sudden it just really accelerated and they doubled in size in a few years. I've seen it where they shrank and finally went out of business with the transition, you know, out of whether it was a generation that it transferred to or just another person coming in and uh, taking over in that business. So, 
to start with, when I look at that, if you're, if you're starting to scale, think about where you're at. And if you're going to continue to scale, you have to increase your own potential and ability. I'm doing things today. There is no possibility I could have done them 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. There's just no way I could have. I didn't have that ability. However, 30 years ago, just because I went to that Maxwell conference and I started to think, di think differently and change things I did every day, I now have a different level and a different set of ability that I had back then. So I can operate more businesses, larger businesses, and help companies in a very different way than I could back then. So when I look at the advice on maintaining a healthy company uh, culture, the first thing you need to do is put yourself in a personal growth program of some type. Get yourself in that mindset because you need to improve and change every day in order to motivate and inspire and create a healthy growth culture in your organization. If, if it goes back to some other things we talked about really earlier, Heather, if employees want to be tied in, they want uh, uh, opportunities to advance, and you will see that. I've seen it like in banks where, you'll, where they all of a sudden realize, well, the generation ahead of me is going to get all the promotions. I want to advance sooner than that. And they're starting to go out to competing banks and taking jobs there, or it can happen in insurance. But really, you've got to create a healthy culture. You've got to maintain growth. Um, some people get hung up on it a lot with uh, if, if you're not growing, you're dying. But it's, it's a pretty simple, uh, simplistic view, maybe. But it's, I would say it's accurate. To put it that Fizzling way, out. yeah, I mean, either your company's mm -hmm. going up or it's going down and your, your employees are going to sense all of that and uh, you just cannot grow past your own ability. So coaching helps a lot with that. I know we've talked about that a lot, but that whole third party view, that's why I still have one. That's right. Well, and it's important to have someone work with your employees as well, I think, just to because a lot of times... Mm -hmm. Uh, an employee might not be completely honest with their employer on what they would like to see because they're scared to speak up. So, right. so that's an area where um, it, it's just helpful to have that that third party come in and and you know just kind of monitor the situation for you and get honest feedback. And, you know, with that, we've done exit interviews for employees leaving a company mm -hmm. just because the company was in a position that they wanted to uh, maybe understand why what they felt was a quality, strong employee, why they would leave. Mm -hmm. And I'll come back to the contracts, and this can go into then employee handbooks and job descriptions. They usually, well, usually, I think every time, the employee always felt like they were over-delivering outside of their scope of work, and the employer felt like they were under-delivering and that they would pay them more right. and advance them if they did more, and yet there was never a written job description or an expe yeah. expectation communicated, and they just didn't even know. And it was just, again, a mismatch of expectations. Right, and that's also where those 
annual, I mean, we could get into so much stuff here. We could go off the rails pretty quickly, but that's also where those annual reviews come in handy as well. Just a check-in. Well, creating a culture of dialogue Mm -hmm. where there's an open door policy. Right, right, exactly. Okay, next one. I'm a person of faith. Some of my employees do not share the same beliefs. How would you suggest that I relate to them considering my faith is important to me? This is a fun one in a sense, and maybe I should be scared, (laughs) but uh, so I grew up in a very conservative uh, environment and it was important uh, to my mother that, you know, I work around people that maybe carry the values she wanted, you know, imparted on me and that she wanted me to uh, uh, have in life, which is admirable, and I respect her for that. Uh, as a young person, and then, of course, as as I have children, you know, I probably look at that a little bit more, too, because we always talk to our children about, well, think about the friends you have. Uh, they're going to influence and, you know, help shape the direction of your life. However, uh, as a Christian, it also talks in the Bible about being a light into the world. And I think a lot of times we look at pastors like they should uh, be the shepherd and take care of everybody, or a missionary is leaving and going into this area and going to do, you know, share the gospel and do those things. But if you have a good culture in your business, I challenge you to think about what a influence and maybe how you can witness to that person. And another one, a phrase out there that I like to run, th- I mean, I, I have it to where I think about this phrase continually because, as you know, I'm a talker. Hmm. So I like to talk. <laughs> But what I have learned, unfortunately, is more is caught than taught. And it's a Maxwell term, of course, but the fact of the matter is we can talk all we want, but if our life does not exemplify what we're trying to accomplish, then it really does us no good to even talk about it. So I would challenge Christian employers to not be so concerned about what the belief system of their employee is as maybe an opportunity to change the life and improve the life of that employee. And if they have a good culture and a strong foundation, they should be able to work with somebody and create an environment where those people um, maybe want what they have. And it's interesting to me uh, when I look at this and I think about this. So I don't know that I have permission to plug other podcasts and things that I listen to. (laughs) But, you know, if you go uh, follow Duck Dynasty, which uh, the Robertson family was a huge hit Mm -hmm. on TV here a number of years back. And now they have other platforms that you can find a lot of information on them. But right now, most of their employees that run the Duck Commander business were people that came in to work for them that were not Christians. 
mm-hmm. and they found faith. They literally took them down and baptized them in their river by their house. And they are now the people that are doing the same thing in return, running their business and really making a huge impact on probably a, po- a huge positive impact, I would say, culturally in our country. So think about how you conduct yourself. There's a lot of people who feel like they can go to church on Sunday and they've done their job or they can show up Wednesday night and Sunday morning, Sunday night. But, you know, I, I go back to, uh, back to that whole statement, you know, to be a light into the world. You can't be a light to the world if you're not in it. If you seclude yourself, you're not going to be a witness mm-hmm. to anybody else. You're not going to improve somebody else's life. Mm-hmm. You, as a Christian, I just challenge you, you've probably had breaks and opportunities that a lot of people don't get. And how fortunate for you to have that, but how fortunate would it be if you can show and share that with somebody that did not have that opportunity? And you can make a life-changing difference in their life. So uh, I think so often because our minds are wired to protect and we're always going to go to that angle uh, just just mentally. That's just how we're as human beings wired. We want to protect our kids. We want to protect ourselves. But I believe if we're in a healthy, strong state, we will obviously be the ones of influence, not the ones that will be influenced. Right. And and I know that this question in particular is about faith, but I think that you just um, summed it up very well. I think it's about just being a good person in general. Do you care for your employees or don't you? Are you going to show that you care for them or aren't you? And I think that's that's kind of where it, where it all lies. It is. I uh, What's interesting is because I get to work and communicate with a lot of employees that work for, uh, let's say, Amish and Mennonite business owners. Mm -hmm. And some of them come from very different lifestyles, and they have nothing but the deepest respect and appreciation for those folks. But then they'll have somebody that's maybe got the same lifestyle down the road that they know and literally will throw a tirade of curse words about that person. Mm -hmm. And so I think I I just share that to really challenge people be that person you would want somebody else to be. You know, if you're coming into work on Monday morning, losing your temper and throwing things and not paying your employees well and just just doing a lot of not such nice things, I mean, say, you know, it's, it's a bad witness. <laughs> it, it just is. And it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's something I take seriously. Because we see it on both sides. I mean, we see it where, you know, they have nothing but respect for them. We see the positive outcomes of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody's human. We're all going to screw up. We know that. But mm-hmm. it's, it's something that's interesting, partially, I think, because of uh, it comes up more than often, this, something to this level of question. Yeah. So I would challenge, too... And I'll go back to Maxwell on this one because um, he started in the church world. And I just want you guys to think about this. He would have business owners that were non-believers come to him and ask for him 
to share his principles with them. And then he would, they would ask him, where did you get this information? Because they want to go out and find it. And his joke always was, well, you don't want to know. Yeah. You know, and then they're like, no, no, we want to know. And then finally you tell them it's the Bible. And they're like, oh, no way. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> the fact is it's in there. It is a tremendous uh, guide for our lives. It really has the answers clearly for about anything we need to accomplish. But I would, uh, I just challenge you to be the example. My question isn't so much what to do with the employee that doesn't have the same beliefs is are you the person that that person should even be around? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes the difference isn't that big, unfortunately. And go. I'm a bit of a blunt person, so I tend to say it how it is. So if I offend any of you and you feel like you're not the person you need to be, I'm going to not even apologize because uh, we do not understand. In fact, I feel almost uh, ashamed of what I've gone through in life, knowing how I felt, feeling that I've been given the short end of the stick when I learn how many, how many things other people have gone through that have been so much more harsh than myself. And I think if we can come from an angle of gratitude for what we've had, we can help serve and give opportunities to others and make their lives better. will certainly make a big difference. So... I'll just leave you with this. There's four things when it comes to a being a person of faith. Love your employees. Really love them. Care about what, who they are and what they do for you. Value them. Show them that they're important, that, you're, yeah, that they're important to you. And show appreciation. So often we get so busy and we're like, well, that's not my personality. It doesn't matter. They work for you. You need to show appreciation. And number four, to really summarize this entire thing, be an example that they can admire and want to follow. If you cannot do number four, then yes, you probably need to have people work for you that will, are willing to say, well, that's just how he is and I'll put up with it. Is that a mic drop? You're not even responding. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. I think you've said what you okay. need to say. With that, we really appreciate you joining us for this episode of Q&A with Mindset Growth Podcasts. Keep those questions coming. You can uh, email us on the link below. You can find this uh, episode as well as all the others out on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. There's some information out on YouTube. You can find us on our Facebook page. We are happy to interact. Send all these questions. We'll do more of these. If you have ideas for guests and uh, other topics, send them in. We're happy to provide content and material for you that will help you have a more fulfilled life and, gra and show gratitude to others. Thanks for joining us today. <music>